Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Tolarian Community College, where I have with me Gavin Verhey of Wizards of the Coast R&D. This is a gentleman who is responsible for, along with other people, designing the very cards we play with in Magic. He is currently a product architect, meaning he is responsible, along with many other talented people, for designing the very products that we buy and play with in Magic. And on top of all of that, Gavin is widely credited with creating the modern format itself. And he's come here today to answer my questions, of which I have many. But first, <laughs> Gavin, thanks so much for being here. Uh, and I'm so excited to be here. I absolutely love coming into the, the den, into the campus of Tularean Community College. And it's been a blast hanging out with you. I look forward to seeing what your questions are. And obviously, I'm a huge fan of magic. It'd be weird if I wasn't. Um, and from an R&D perspective, like, I love coming down here and just getting to interact with one of our biggest content creators in the world. So thank you for having us down. All right. Well, let's get started. Let me come right out and say it, now that I've got you here. Reprints. Let's do it. Master sets are discontinued for the immediate future. We're not going to be seeing them, I believe the quote was, for some time or something to that effect. So if master sets are gone for some time, the foreseeable future, and if that's anything with like the way masterpieces were gone for the foreseeable future that's kind of gone, where are reprints going to come from? Because this was our biggest source. Dual decks are discontinued. From the Vault is discontinued. And if we aren't seeing massive reprints in standard sets, we get a couple. Where are the bulk of these reprints for formats such as Modern going to come from? That's what everyone wants to know. Absolutely. You know, and our product lineup has just expanded so much over the past several years. There's a lot of different stuff coming out now. We've got things like Commander decks, which mm -hmm. are places to put cards. But also, we're looking at new ways to put cards, like the Guild Kits, for example, which just came out. A lot of really exciting reprints in there. Privileged Position was in the one in Guilds of Ravnica. This time around, we have a bunch of new exciting stuff with Ravnica Allegiance. And so that's one place we're looking at deploying those. The ancillary uh, reprint sets, um, like Battle Bond, Conspiracy, those kind of sets, that's a great place to put reprints into. And uh, there's a few other surprises we haven't quite announced yet down the line that'll have reprints as well. So there's a few places we're putting them that aren't just master sets, but will have reprints. And stay tuned for what some of those are. But master sets were the biggest source of reprints yes. because they were 100% reprints. So a set like Battlebond and Conspiracy, those have a lot of reprints in them. I mean, the guild kits, I loved the guild kits. Those were almost entirely reprints, just a couple neat cards from the current set, but pretty much reprints. Is there any plans for something that might be replacing master sets in regard to that large amount of reprints? Is, I mean, I, obviously you can't tell us specifics, but is something going to step in? Like, so for example, when uh, From the Vault stepped down, Signature Series Spellbook kind of came in simultaneously to take its place. Many people see the Spellbook series as replacing From the Vault. Uh, is something like that possibly going to happen with master sets where we can see large numbers of reprints coming our way? Well, also, when you look at the reprints that people are often asked for, there's a lot of them, don't, don't get me wrong, and master sets are 100% reprints, but a lot of the commons and uncommons that are reprinted in, in those sets were for limited texture, right? Sure. They weren't things that players were actively looking for. And then you have that 30, 40, 50, you know, nut cards at the, at the top that people are really, really excited about. And we can take those and spread those out among a number of sets or put a mm. bunch in one set and a bunch in another set to kind of get those out there. So even though master sets, it's true, were 100% reprints, there's a, a certain class of cards that people are looking for 
um, that we can put in other places. A lot of the cards that were reprinted in master sets were not cards being played. In other words, they're not widely played, and so they were for the draft environment. Uh, I certainly went on about that a little bit. Right. Uh, sure, sure. Right. And, and so wouldn't you rather, for example, have a set, I'll use Battle Bond just as one example, where you can have uh, some new cards that are exciting, new great cards you get to go own, and then re reprint a bunch of the old cool staples like the doubling seasons, the true name nemesis, the things that people need. Mm -hmm. And we can even look at ratcheting that number up in future sets because we don't have to save them for master sets. One other thing about, about master sets is they were very hungry. They wanted all the reprints all the time. And so we had to, had to be very, very careful about where else we put our reprints because the master sets just gobbled them up one after another. And without the master sets around, we can kind of spread those out a little more evenly and at a higher level uh, throughout other ancillary products. Are reprints still going to follow the trend of being largely confined to those uh, supplemental products? Uh, or might we ever see an increase in the number of, of uh, needed reprints we might see in a core set, for example? Now we had, I was very excited to see, Scape Shift yeah. and Crucible of Worlds in core set 2019, but as we often see, it was those two. And are we ever going to see like 10 in a core set, 20 in a core set? Core sets used to be 100% reprints once upon a time. Yeah, I, we love putting cards like those in core sets and even other standard legal sets for that matter. The trick is of course they impact the standard environment. Right. So there are limits on what we can and can't put in. Uh, Crucible and Scapeshift are great ones because they're not gonna break anything in standard, fingers crossed, hopefully. They're not gonna break <laughs> anything in standard. But you start putting cards like Snapcaster Mage, Vendelian Click, things like that into a core set and standard might really get warped around them. Mm -hmm. And we care about the standard balance because that's a really important format that a lot of players play. So we wanna be really, really careful with that. Additionally, sometimes cards are hard to reprint because of their mechanics. Right. Snapcaster Mage, for example, can only go in a set with flashback. Uh, so we have to find the right place to deploy that. Why? This is a question I've always had. So never mind Snapcaster's power level, but why can Snapcaster Mage only go in a set with flashback? What happens, this is, it, I just can't get my head around it. What happens if just one time in a core set, one card with flashback were printed, this creates a problem. This is, I don't understand why sometimes you can't just say, eh, there was one card with flashback in the core set and, and there you go. It, it, it's going to cause what? I, I don't understand what the issue is. Well, you know, that's a very long-standing R&D design principle. Yes. It's been around for a long time, but that doesn't mean it necessarily has to stay that way. And we've been experimenting. Sure. sure. For example, in, um, Magic 2019, we had the one double face card of Nicol Bolas. It's kind of weird, doing one double face card in a set. Let's give this a try and see what happens. That went over great. No one really batted an eye, and actually thought it was pretty cool. So it's certainly not impossible. You could see more one-off weird mechanic returnings in the future. But we want to try it out, see how people react to it, mm -hmm. because there is the danger that, imagine you're a new player, or even a, a media, medium experienced player. You open up a booster pack, you get Snapcaster Mage as your rare, and you're like, Okay, flashback's a thing. Excited to go out and build my standard flashback deck. It's there, except it's actually not. Now, there's different levels of this. Flashback being one where, oh, one flashback card not gonna hurt anybody, um, necessarily. If you had one copy of, um, I don't know, a kinship card, random mechanic example, that cares about tribal really heavily, it would be kind of weird to not have that tribal deck to go and find. So there, there are different layers and levels of this, and I think right. you'll see us experiment with it going forward. Getting a little more specific about reprints, 
fetch lands yeah. are a card that for non-rotating formats, especially modern, but even formats like Commander want to get a hold of fetch lands. Legacy obviously uses fetch lands. These are cards that are viewed as necessary for almost all the decks in modern. There's exceptions, of course, but they are primarily viewed as a necessity if you're going to have a proper deck in modern. Certainly for Legacy, Commander players don't need them, but we'd certainly like them. Before I ask about where the Fetchland reprints are going to go, considering that I get the feeling that Fetchlands are not going to ever be reprinted in standard again, as there seems to have been an agreement that they make for uh, bad viewing when there's all this cracking, all this shuffling for standard events, that they are problematic in terms of what happens price-wise. Suddenly standard is costing nearly as much as modern in some cases because we're playing four or five color good stuff with all these wonderful Fetchlands. I just want to ask this question, were Fetchlands a mistake? It's a hard, it's a hard question of course. To, to peel back, because there's a lot of things in Magic we wouldn't do today, and I, I think it's correct that we don't do them today, but people really enjoy playing with in older formats. And mm -hmm. Fetchlands are when you kind of hit on a bunch of the problems. The shuffling adds real time to tournaments. We, we actually looked at the numbers between how long the rounds took before in formats with Fetchlands and in formats without Fetchlands, even in Standard, and the numbers were less significantly without fetch lands. The act of shuffling is actually kind of um, intimidating for some new, for some players, new and even medium players, like constantly shuffling your deck. Um, it also feels like a loading screen. It just kind of sucks. You're like, all right, crack my fetch. I'll sit here. You sit right. there. You search for your one land. You put it into play. And to top it all off, you look at a fetch land, and you and I both know they're very powerful lands, right? You can go get dual lands with them, but they don't look that appealing if you don't know that much about magic. You're mm -hmm. like, well, I lose a life and I search for a basic land, what am I gonna do with, with these? And so, there's a lot of things working against them there, and those factors mean that, mean that we're trying to keep them out of standard sets, for the most part. Not impossible, they could come back in a standard set someday, but in general, we're not super huge on doing them in a standard set, right. at least a bunch of them. Um, with that said though, they're kind of foundational to legacy and modern, and in some ways, commander. The fetch land, dual land mana base is the key to those formats and how many, many different decks are built. We don't want to take that away. We don't want to get rid of that. We're not looking at banning fetch lands or anything along those lines. Um, so are they a mistake? Well, I'm, I'm glad they exist for those formats because the players who play those formats, the entrenched magic players, really, really enjoy them. But I'm also glad they're not in standard because I would love to keep them kind of um, away from the newer players or people coming into standard who are less experienced who would have to deal with the problems Fetchlands pose. This creates a conundrum, however, because if they're not going to be reprinted in the foreseeable future, if it's highly unlikely to reprint Fetchlands in standard and they are still the foundation of the majority of decks in formats such as modern and are a critical cornerstone, as you put it, for those formats and, and many others, where are they gonna come from? We have had how many master sets? Six, seven, and only one master set out of all of the master sets that we've had, had, had five of the 10 fetch lands in them. We haven't even reprinted in master sets one time all 10. We have one time reprinted five of the 10 fetch lands when are we going to start? Where are they going to go? Where's the proper place to reprint these fetch lands so that players have access to them, so that they have a better opportunity to enjoy and play formats such as modern? Yeah, I, I mean, as you said, we did them once right. in a master set. It worked, worked out great worked that, that great. one time. People were able to get access to them. We definitely want to make sure that more of them get out there. And we have some ideas for, for how to do that. I can't say where of exactly course. they're going to show up, of course. But I mean, one thing I really want to stress, especially to the listeners um, or the viewers out there, as it were, is that 
we know which cards need to be reprinted and we are right. looking actively to find homes for them. We're trying to find the right, right place home. for them to make sure that they can can get into your hands. Because we have a lot of reprints to get out. We want to make sure that they're in the right place, that the appropriate set, that they're hitting the right audience, all that kind of stuff. Why wasn't Modern Masters the right home for them? Why like like why wasn't Master Sets just a master set has fetch lands in it each time uh, uh, since a, a modern deck has fetch lands in it, unless you're on Mono White Soul Sisters or <laughs> Mo Mono Blue Merfolk or Mono Red Burn, great decks, by the way. Uh, but I, I just don't, don't, can't get my head around why the master sets were, were only the right home for five of them one time, why that happened. And if we were to keep doing the master right. sets, let's say we, we had three more locked and loaded ready to go, I feel confident that the Fetchlands would be in one of those master sets at, at least, right? Sadly, we are not doing uh, uh, three more master sets in the foreseeable future, so. You're correct, but we do have other right. ideas about where to okay. put them. Yeah. So. Um, my friend Josh Lee Kwai of the Command Zone has often lamented that uh, he feels that the Commander Precons, which are a fabulous product most years uh, that come out, would be a great home for one or possibly even two fetch lands to just throw in there if every one of those commander precons had a, had the same number of fetch lands in them you wouldn't have an issue with one of them selling off the shelves uh is it possible that commander precons might be a good home for fetch lands in the future or is that not the right place for fetch lands a commander precon a big thing for us is putting the cards right in a product for the people who want to play that format Right. And as you mentioned, commander players like fetch lands, like if you're at a top yeah, level commander player. Yeah, it's not critical player, like it is in modern. But it's not critical. So we'd rather save those for places where we think modern and legacy players are going to be buying more of the copies of that product. Okay. So sorry, Josh, but fetch lands and commander precons, not likely. Yeah, we're not looking at it. We're not, we can't speak in absolutes here, but not likely. It's not, it, it, not I, you know, like I say, anything could happen. Anything. It's always possible. But there are no plans to put fetch lands in commander decks at this time. With that said, um, we, uh, to your point about making sure that commander decks are chock full of exciting reprints, we are looking at putting all, a lot of good reprints in commander decks. I know that for some people, 2018 didn't have as many as they would have liked. We've incorporated that feedback. And going forward, uh, we're definitely re-looking at the kind and number of reprints we're putting in. So stay tuned. Baron Sengir in a commander precon as a good legendary that a really good commander deck could be based around. How likely are we to see that in the next several years, do you think? Rosewater I, play, plays this game winner if. Winner if, tumbler, right, right, right. Okay, he, he, you can do like, that. It, it, is it ever going to happen? Right. Or, like, when is it going to happen? Right? right. So if it happens, eh, or when? Is it, how, how confident yeah, are we if or, if or when, Baron Sengir, legendary. And, and Baron Sengir, I will give a very solid win to. I want to okay. do it. I want to do it really bad. I actually, we've talked about this on Twitter some, Professor. Yes, I do love Baron Sengir. But I have a list at my desk, and I'm not exaggerating. I actually have a list at my desk of legendary characters I want to get back into Magic. And Baron Sengir is very high Can on my list. Can you name any of those other legendary characters you'd like to get back into Magic? One? Just uh, one more? Well, I mean... I, besides the Baron? I, I'll name... Okay, uh, Rebecca is one that I'm a Rebecca. fan of. Rebecca. Interesting choice. Yeah. That, yes. That, that's a character that I think is really cool. Oh, well, that's I, so, really going to make some Vorthos happy. So I am... For a first for Talarian Community College. So I listen to a lot of people send me on Twitter. Yeah. There's a lot of recurring characters players like, like the whole Weatherlight crew. I want to do more, for example. The yeah. Gerards, Tongarths, Miris. Oh. Like we, did, we did a new Mirian set, uh, Commander 2017, yes. for example, which actually kind of ignited this charge. Like, and Gerard's previous card was... Um, underwhelming, we'll say, to uh, to be generous. Mm -hmm. It's like I know we can do better than that. And there's a whole host of 
of cards or characters from that era of the story, I know we can do better. Um, so there's some characters that I want to redo. And there, there are some characters like Rebecca or um, people that are mentioned, like the fourth uh, sister uh, from the uh, Innistrad block that I just want to get out there, I want to have exist. And Commander is a great place for this. Or, or right. ancillary sets, like Battlebond conspiracy-style places are potentially great places to put these things. So they're very, very, very much on my radar. And uh, yeah, you will have to wait and see if and when they come out. But there are a lot of characters. My, my short list at my desk is now two pages long. So um, <laughs> I, there's a lot of them. But if there's a character you like, stay tuned. We'll try and get to them. I very much hope that that when Baron Sengir does get reprinted, uh, that Pete Venters is given a call to do the artwork uh, uh, for the Baron, very much so. That would be, I, I would kickstart that. I would kickstart, I will pay, I will, will, will make sure the community will come together. You won't even have to pay because you have to pay the artists uh, 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 for, for their artwork. The community would kickstart Pete Venters' price for doing a new Baron Sengir artwork so that he's the, the one who does it. I'm just throwing it out there. So I know I, that's not your department, but. So I'm curious. I'm yes. curious. Prof, um, you love Baron Sanger. I do love Baron Sanger. Another Sanger. character I get requests for, not nearly as much as the Baron himself, um, but is Ravi Sanger, who is yes. of course the uh, the grandmother right. of Baron Sanger. Yes. Where do you stand on Ravi? I Pro like that. So I mean, in in an ideal world. I would love Baron Sengir as the face card of a Commander Precon, and then the entire Sengir family redone oh, nice. within it. And and so we could even have, you know, just basically the, that whole, you know, the whole collection of his family, uh, his daughter, and even things like, well, we saw in, in Ishtan's Shade reprint, but uh, there's many other of the characters that were common face at Castle Sengir. I'd love a Castle Sengir oh, yeah. uh, uh, redo so that it's actually good. Uh, uh, it doesn't have to be too good, just good enough that I can run it without my friends laughing at me. <laughs> I just don't want my friends laughing at me more so than they already do. I mean, I feel, so, like, I feel like every design Designer puts a bit of themselves into their work, right? Really showing off things right. they like, and we try and make sure that the set is as good as possible. But like through the things that we think that we like and the players will like too. And as the lead behind Commander 2017 and Commander 2018, I've tried to get a bunch of these characters out there. Like I got Amiri out there. There's uh, Okagachi. I love Kamigawa. Right. Huge Kamigawa fan. So um, your Eureka is a nod to that as well. Uh, Okagachi from Commander 2017, um, Ramos, like all these old characters you haven't seen in a long time. Zancha, another one that I got out there I was yes. super stoked about. So I, I've, I'm on a crusade to get these out there and eventually I hope to, to have remakes of all these old story characters and we've got a lot of time. So. I, I gotta say, people loved Commander 2017, so kudos on that. Yeah, and you know, Commander 2018 I think had its ups and downs. I actually felt like, like the new cards were in general pretty well received. Mm -hmm. I liked how a lot of the new mm -hmm. cards turned out. Um, it was the, the reprints, I think, where you know, I, I heard the most criticism. And for me, that's an opportunity to learn and improve. And as I mentioned earlier, we, I took that criticism in. Not enough good reprints, understood. Let's try and get that fixed for the next time we do it. I was, I was just funning you there. I was just funning you there. Hey, you know what? But Prof, I really appreciate it because you keep us honest and you help make sure that our products are the best they can be. So thank you very much. So speaking of these new products, uh, we saw the very first signature spellbook last year. Uh, this was very well received. Uh, while I thought there were still a little areas for improvement, I enjoyed it immensely. Is this something that we can see return or was that a one-time thing? It seemed like a setup with Signature Spellbook Jace. Everybody's like, ooh, we're gonna get to go through the Pantheon, but I don't know how well it sold. Uh, are you able to say whether or not Signature Spellbook is coming back? 
I'm just going to say, you know, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say it. Yes, Singer Spellbook is coming back. We're going to have another one this year and stay tuned for it. And who's the, the planeswalker in the, this, the second batch? Are you able to say that? That I'm going to leave under my lid a little bit longer, a little bit longer. All right. But uh, year one did well enough that we've got uh, going to have a year two. Number two. We're going to have a year two. And okay. we, a we actually have a plan going forward for which planeswalkers we want to do. Oh, so fantastic. provided that year two does as well as year one, you can probably expect to see our year three. So you can't tell us who the planeswalker in the next signature spellbook is, but my question is about the longevity of the series. We started with Jace and Mono Blue, and one of the things I really liked about this, uh, uh, and again, I don't know if this was intentionally a replacement for From the Vault. It felt like it. And From the Vault often, and I was a fan of some From the Vaults, depending on, on the year, uh, but it felt like there might have been a constraint having to deal with like, oh, from the vault angels and we've got a couple really good angels and then maybe there's a bit of a struggle to choose eight more angel cards. But with Signature Spellbook Chase, there was a lot more freedom, it felt, on the cards included. We got Threads of Disloyalty as well as Blue Elemental Blast as well as a Planeswalker, an actual Planeswalker in the set. And so the unifying characteristic was much more just that these were blue cards and then they all got Jace artwork on them. Is it possible for future spellbooks that a Planeswalker might be multi-colored? That we might one day see a, for example, just a, a black-green Vraska spellbook and then we would see black and green cards or black-green only? How might that, is it possible that we would have some mono-green cards, some mono-black cards, some multicolored cards? Well, first of all, taking a step back to what you mentioned about From the Vault, yes. you're right that Signature Spellbook is kind of the spiritual successor to From okay. the Vault. Okay. And what we noticed is that um, From the Vault, when we launched From the Vault Dragons all the way back when, there was almost no way to get reprints out there. Right. And From the Vault was one of the first ways to deliver reprints to players. And now, flash forward to 2018, we've got a ton of different sets coming out left and right that are full of reprints, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, guild kit style products, master sets at the time, um, ancillary sets, and putting them in front of the vault, well, we're, we're kind of putting them all in this one box that can be hard to obtain for some players. Um, the great thing about Signature Spellbook is it lets us put a really cool treatment and make really awesome versions of even common and uncommon cards. Now, there are cards that, you know, are at higher rarities that show up in there. You get the Planeswalkers, for example. But turns out, just a really awesome-looking counterspell is just a cool thing players sure. want to own. And we can make great versions of that, and that's one of the reasons why we brought Signature Spellbook to, into existence. To answer your question uh, that, you, that you were actually asking here... Um, Yes, it's absolutely possible we could see a dual-color Planeswalker here, and there's a lot of experimentation we can do. I mean, we've seen Planeswalkers so far. Could we do a legendary character? Absolutely. That's on the table, too. Wow, so like maybe a character from Ravnica, uh, uh, Tessa, she's got a spell book. She knows some spells. We might see what's in her spell book. Uh, is it possible to see... Uh, legendary creatures that might be allies of, of the Planeswalker beer printed that would be out of, like, for example, Jace is very good friends with Amara sure. on uh, uh, Ravnica. Is it possible that a, like, a future spellbook might see a white-green creature legendary that's a friend with that mono-blue Planeswalker, or is that, going, is that breaking the pattern too much? I, I think there's, there's a line to walk here. Right. I think that the baseline of your question is yes, absolutely. The exact example is a little strange because... At its core, you're like, well, I'm a blue player. I'm going to go buy the J Signature Spellbook. Right. You open it up, and there's this white, green, legendary creature in there. That's sure. a little strange. But if you imagine, say, um, 
the Sphinx that was uh, Alhamarit, right? Uh, Jace's mentor, who's mono blue as well. Mm -hmm. That's totally the kind of thing I could see showing up in a Jace signature spellbook okay. because it's really related into his story. Yes, yes. Jace doesn't like Alhamarit very much, though. They're not good friends. Well, yeah, it's true. You but know, right. that, that's an example, we'll okay, say. Okay, okay. That's, that's, that's very good. But, you know, maybe uh, if we did a Chandra signature spellbook, maybe Jaya could show up, Ooh, right? You know, yeah. something like that that would it make sense. It might be possible to have two planeswalkers in a signature spellbook? It's not impossible, I'll put it that way. But even if it wasn't Jaya herself, cards that called back to Jaya sure. or something like that, right? Because that is an important figure in her life. If signature spellbooks were indeed the spiritual successor to From the Vault, why did they have fewer cards in them than From the Vault? Why were we going from uh, more cards in premium foil in From the Vault to fewer cards with only one premium foil in this spiritual successor? Moving forward, shouldn't we get more or at the very least the same? Well, there's a few things going on here. One is that we want to make sure that the cards that we're choosing really hit upon that planeswalker or character as much as we can. And, you know, if it was a hundred card signature spellbook, well, you'd start to fray off on the edges of what actually fits into that character's wheelhouse. So by keeping it, you know, in the eight tight card range, it's easier to theme it to that character. Two, we wanted to bring the price point down. And, um, you know, a nice mm. $20 price point means that, yeah, you know, about eight cards felt about like the right, right thing to do there. Um, and it just, we want to be able to preserve our reprints to put in other places if we need to. So we're all about finding that those reprints go into their right homes. And about eight a year for a signature spell book felt about appropriate. Okay. So I actually used to do some work on the From the Vault series mm -hmm. when, we, when we were doing it. And one of the tricky things about those is your first several cards make a lot of sense. And then you start pulling at pieces, really, as you get a little further down the road, right? Like, well, this is an angel, it kind of fits, we'll put it in, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, this is a mass destruction spell, we'll put that in. But there's kind of a, a core number of cards players are really looking to be reprinted and that feel iconic for that theme, or in this case, that character. So I would rather keep it a tight, well-fitting, exciting batch and put it at that $20 price point than try and go too large and, and have stuff that, stuff that doesn't really okay. feel on theme. You know. If, if you took a From the Vault and just cut out the five cards that people were less excited about, I would rather have had that product. And did you actually, were you involved in the, the Jace Signature Spellbook, uh, uh, or was that not uh, you personally? Yeah, I've worked on the Signature Spellbook series, both Jace and some of the ones going forward as well. Why Blue Elemental Blast and not Hydro Blast? <laughs> Why, Gavin? Why not the one that's played and legal and popper? It's the same card! Well, uh, it's true. It was a, a hard back and forth, but Blue Elemental Blast is just more iconic, right? It's been there since the beginning. It's the one that probably sees a little more play in eternal formats like Legacy because you can't misdirect it. So it was a discussion back and forth, but we ultimately did settle on Blue Elemental Blast. And you got your Pyroblast and your Hydroblast in a Master Set recently, so you got that going for you. Switching tracks a little bit uh, to Challenger decks, which have recently been confirmed to be coming back, and the player base really loved last year's Challenger decks in large part because they did some things that, as far as I know, were really never done before, including having multiple copies of rares, mythics were included, a pre-constructed deck had Planeswalkers in it, uh, it had entire playsets of cards that were being played on the tournament scene. For those who remember event decks, we would get like one or two copies often, and it would be perhaps a little disappointing to then need to somehow get those extra copies. And so players were both excited, but with the announcement that they're returning, I must say players are 
a little nervous about whether or not the next batch and dex lists haven't been released yet. And I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, though, can we expect that same design philosophy and embracing of the reprints and included power levels and copies in this next batch? Or are we going to see, oh, it's not like last time where we got all these Chandra Torch of Defiances or Heart of Kirins or uh, 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 play sets of uh, Chase Rares. Are we going to see this time the same philosophy followed or? So last year's Challenger decks, by the way, were really successful. They blew the doors off and almost immediately I knew I wanted to do them again. And the goal was to help get people to play standard, and we've heard so many stories of players. All right, who... listen, I'm just going to stop you right there. Are you reprinting Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, in one of the Challenger decks? That's all. That's what people want to know. Are you reprinting Teferi? That's all anyone cares about. He... Here's... Oh. Uh, our... All right, Prof, come here. Okay. He didn't say anything. <laughs> um, here's what I will say. Okay. We'll release the deck list, and I'll announce here, we're going to release the deck list in March. March? So stay tuned for those. Okay. Um, but, and what I, what I will say, and, and you, you're right, you know, you cut, just wanted to cut straight through. You don't need the preamble about how great they were. Same philosophies this time around. Okay. We want to make decks that really feel like competitive tournament decks because if they don't feel like that, then we're just back to event decks, which we're not accomplishing that job. So these are four decks taken from the top tier tournament scene. Uh, we finished these decks around the time that Pro Tour uh, Guilds of Ravnica happened. So we've taken all that into consideration, made four decks. We're happy with them. We think you take these off the shelf and play in an event. And uh, I think they turned out really, really well. Now, you say the deck lists are going to be uh, uh, revealed to us in, in March. The only problem with Challenger decks is that they come out so late. And you and I actually had a casual conversation once about why this is. I'm wondering, though, if now for the cameras you can talk a little bit about why we why can't we get Challenger decks sooner? Why, why aren't these out in January? Why aren't these out for Christmas? What a great Christmas gift. I'm going to buy a standard legal Challenger deck. Why, why do we have to wait so long for them to come out? So here's, here's the deal. With, it takes us a long time to make a magic set or any kind of product. And with Challenger decks, we chopped down, we worked really hard to chop down the processes as far as we could to get down to the bare minimum of five months. Okay, the minimum it takes for, for these guys is five months. So from the moment we send the final files out to the people who are printing the cards to the moment they show up in your game store is about five months mm -hmm. or so, okay? Give or take a week here or there. So when is the right time? So they're on a five-month delay. Five-month delay. To put it in layman's terms, uh, 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 it'll take you five months. Yeah, more or less, right? Um, so this leads to a conundrum because we, of course, want to get them out in the right window where it makes the most sense. But we also, and this is extraordinarily important, want to make sure that, sure that they're relevant standard decks because otherwise we get back to event decks, which are not what people were looking for and were often misses because we had to make them so far in advance. And those are being made nine months to a year in advance of when wow. these came out, right? So what works the best for us is to wait and see what happens at the Pro Tour, then quickly work on making the decks, testing and iterating and getting them out the door. But by waiting until seeing for the, what the Pro Tour results are, that means that it's really hard to get them out much before April. So that's a real trick. So 
as a consumer, you could you could have them out earlier, but then that would risk them being less polished, less um, strong, less standard relevant decks. Or you could kind of have them out in this window and have us be able to see the top tournament results. So that's like the one of the mini decisions we have to make. And at the end of the day, the kind of the decision and one that I agree with is let's make them as tournament relevant and important as possible because that is crucial to this product working at all. Now, if you have a different opinion, I'd love to hear it. Something we could talk about, something we could experiment with, but please let us know. Now, I know that uh, 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 I saw some uh, 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 YouTubers and affiliates who received sample copies, not me, of course, but others received sample copies weeks before they came out and they were in the packaging. So that means the packaging is there, it's there. At the point where those were in the hands of those creators, why couldn't they have been in the hands of the game stores? What, like, like even just two weeks earlier could be a dramatic difference uh, in these decks. Is that anything that can be prioritized possibly in the future of even just shaving? I mean, believe it or not, two weeks makes a big difference. Well, yeah, kind of two things going on here. Mm -hmm. The first thing I, I want, do want to stress is that while we are able to get some sample copies earlier to send out to people, it's easy to get 10 or 20 decks, like, have, hey, have someone come over there right. and bring them back. It's a lot harder when you have to ship, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands That's of decks across the ocean than we distributed, right? It's, it's easy for us to pick and mail a few to the right people, but to get them across the ocean and all the pallets, right, there's a lot that has to go on. You guys on ship there. across the ocean? Sometimes, sometimes. Uh, it depends on where it's being produced. Yes. Um, but with that said, it's my goal as the product architect for these products to get that time down as low as possible. And let me tell you, year one went great. Okay. Year two, fingers crossed, hopefully going to go great. I'm already working with our product management and our scheduling to try and shave off as much time if we do a third round of these. Mm -hmm. So I've got some ideas in the works of how we're going to do that, a few different ways to carve down time. And look, if we can get them out earlier, even if it's in March or something like that, that would be fantastic. So, so if none of these decks have Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, but there's like Mox Ambers in them, we are going to come for your head. <laughs> uh, blame the play design team. They're the ones who make this. No, not really. Also, I actually do want to call out play design. Play design. Play design has made these decks. Um, so I'm the architect. So my job is to make sure that the archetypes that we're choosing feel about right, that there's a good mix of cards in them, all that kind of stuff, that we're looking at the right things, monitor it. But ultimately, it is the play design team that really helps craft these things. And hats off to that team. They've been knocking out of the park recently. I think I thought Guilds of Ravnica Standard was one of the best standard environments in recent memory. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a right. Wizard staff member. I, I would say in, I, more, I would say in, in, in probably half a decade uh, in my evaluation. I think the, 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 the best standard environment since original Innistrad standard. So we took that team, put them on these decks, and I'm happy with what they came out with. So speaking of Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, this brings up a recurring problem in pre-constructed products on the shelves, which is that if the Challenger decks come out and only one of them has Teferi, which would make sense, and again, we don't know Teferi's in it, but hypothetically speaking, that because of the high demand for Teferi at this time, that it's likely that that Challenger deck will sell out or only be available at a markup from secondary sellers, which is a feel-bad situation for most players, most everyone involved. This is a problem we've seen before. For example, uh, uh, early commander precons, uh, one of them had a card called True Name Nemesis, Mind Seize, and it sold out everywhere and was only available at high markups, and, and there was a lot of uh, uh, bad feelings. It seems to me, though, that oftentimes the solution that Wizards comes upon is, how do we stop this from happening? Don't put Teferi in any of these Challenger decks might be the solution. Don't put a true name nemesis in these decks. 
and it feels as though Wizards is then striving in a way to make a product that is less desirable on the shelf because if one of them is too desirable, it sells out and no one can get a hold of it. Is, is that an accurate assessment on my part? And if so, why can't the solution be instead of take out Teferi, take out True Name Nemesis, make sure every single one of those versions of the deck has the equivalent of that high demand card so that, that they all have it. There's no, oh, I can't get the only one good one out of the four. They're all good ones. They're all great. They all have a True Name Nemesis or equivalent in them. Don't just put Fetchlands in one of the, the pre-cons, put it in all the pre-cons so that no matter which pre-con you get, you're, you're getting that Fetchland or equivalent card. Well, first and foremost, I want to say we're always happy when things sell out. Like we, we, of course, make sense. We love it when things sell out. So we, you sell, like your products to sell. I know it's a crazy concept, but it just weird might company. Work. Weird company. Is, is this help my interview? Greedy, greedy. Sure. You want to make? You're only in this for the money. Greedy. Um, and with commander decks, just to use your example, yes. of true name nemesis. Uh, we want those to sell out because they're fun to play in commander because they're full of cards commander players want to own. And true name nemesis was frankly one. It was a mistake. We just shouldn't have made that card. I'll say that straight up. Uh, and two, we didn't realize when we made it how big of an impact it was going to have. Like, it was never intended to be a strong legacy card. It was never intended to have this huge of an impact on the game. And, uh, yeah, it is true that, that the Mind Seize deck sold out dramatically better than, right. than the other ones, but that wasn't an intention. It wasn't because we, we wanted that to happen necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and that gets into tricky things. For example, with the, uh, with the Mind Seize deck, we had to do a thing later on where... We changed the um, numbers of decks that we were sending the stores, where sometimes we would send, uh, we'd kick out one of the decks and put in an extra copy of Mind Seize to help make up for it. So we have some ways to help fix that if that is a problem, but we always try and make all four about equivocal. Um, and we want to make them all products that are going to sell and do well. If you look at last year's Challenger decks, as an example, when we, we made all four of them, we took the information we had at the time, thought all four of these have a good shot of being the top standard deck at when they came out. When they hit, the best one was the red deck, certainly. That was the, the deck that was the IT deck of standard at the time. And some of the other ones were still okay. And then some ones like the Second Sun deck were kind of like, well, no one's really playing this anymore. But you know what we saw is, yes, the red deck sold out everywhere and did very, very well. But all three of the other decks also still sold and did pretty well. And it turns out if you just make a compelling enough product full of things that people want to own, it works out great. So I'd say the Challenger decks are very much in line with your philosophy, despite the fact that, yes, one ended up being a stronger hit than the other, mm -hmm. it worked out pretty well. And, and uh, you know, we won't do our best, but ultimately there's, you know, 50 of us working on these products and there's 20 million or so Magic players. Right. And the format's going to change in the time it takes from... Uh, making this to releasing it, opinions are going to change, there's going to be cards that are better or worse than we thought they're going to be. So we can't ever be 100% correct. It's just, just a truism of game design. As, as, as much as I would like to always be 100% correct, we can't always be 100% correct. So we have to do the best with what we can, and then we release it many months later, and if we did our jobs right, it, it goes well, and sometimes you do. You have the true nemesis problem. But isn't it true that with uh, products such as Planeswalker decks that you intentionally want to ensure that the Planeswalker face cards are not likely to actually be good enough to be played 
uh, uh, at Friday Night Magic at your local game store, isn't that an example of designing something to be less desirable? Because if, for example, they were like, oh, wow, people want these planeswalkers, they want to play with them, they want to get a hold of them, they're going to sell off the shelf, and you want those on the shelf to attract new players, correct? So isn't that an example where you're saying, let's intentionally make these cards not very desirable? Well, they're desirable for the target audience, right. right? And it's all about knowing your target audience. Challenger decks, our target audience are people who want to get into standard or who need the cards to be able to play their standard decks. And we want to make sure that they're full of things for those players. Planeswalker decks are for an entirely different audience. These are for the either newer player or maybe mm -hmm. casual player who just want to pick up some and play against them, kind of like dual decks, mm -hmm. or just are buying maybe their first deck to get into the game. And these aren't targeted at tournament magic. Mm -hmm. So the Planeswalkers in those decks are designed to fit that player. Sure. Uh, would you say that new players, there is an intentional desire when designing products for, for new players to avoid overly complex cards and to, to keep things on a, uh, uh, shall we say, a more uh, simple or basic level? I mean, I, I've commented on things like in those Planeswalker decks that we see cards that are like a lightning bolt that costs three. Uh, and, and the answer is, well, it's for new players. Uh, 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 is a lightning bolt really too complex for a new player? Uh, uh, or in that case, like, why aren't we putting our best cards forward for the new players, at least in that example? Or can't they handle a shock? Why does it have to be a three mana shock? Well, first of all, Magic is an amazing game. I love it, but it's also very complicated. God, I would hope you love it. <laughs> it's, it's all magic if you're just like here. You're like magic. Yeah, it's all right. I, I don't really like it. You know, yeah. I, I would just be like, what the heck? That's for off the record. No, no, no. Right. no really, do, I, though. I do love magic. It's an amazing game, but it takes some time to get to learn it. It's a complicated game. There's a lot to learn, and so you're right that we do try and make the Planeswalker decks simple and easy and accessible. Why is Lightning Bolt not in these? Well, the Planeswalker decks are standard legal. Okay. And if we want to balance the format appropriately, Lightning Bolt is not a card we want in standard right now. That's what the play design team says, and, and I agree with them. They're pretty good at what they do. So we're not putting that card in a Planeswalker deck. Now, you could argue that the Planeswalker deck should not be standard legal, which is a whole different discussion. But if they're standard legal, we have to make sure that the cards are appropriate sure. and standard. Sure. Could you argue that Planeswalkers themselves are inherently complex and, and non-intuitive and that maybe giving a Planeswalker to a brand new player is more problematic than giving a brand new player a, a lightning bolt? You know, we, we talked, first of all, well... I know they're selling like hotcakes, so the answer is nope. Well, well two <laughs> things. Two things on this. First, I do not think lightning bolt is too complex for a new player. Okay. It's just as complex as three mana sorcery deal three to a creature a player. But... Just one cost three mana, one cost one mana. So the complexity isn't really a big deal. It's mostly you know standard playability in that sense. And frankly, what makes the decks play well against each other, because in their own environment, if we're two brothers and I buy one deck and you buy the other deck, right. we want to make sure they're well balanced against each other. So that's one element of it. Um, as far as the Planeswalkers being complicated, that was a big discussion. When we were working on Planeswalker decks in the first place, we actually ha had a long, long, long discussion about should Planeswalkers be on the front of these? Because Planeswalkers are our main characters. They're what people want to own. They get excited about them. You know, if you go and watch Star Wars, you're like, man, I've I... never seen a Star Wars. Can you use another example? All right. I've literally never seen a single Star Wars. Well, I'll... ever. In the comments, you guys can talk about that one. Um, but I don't know. Let's say we're... a Star Trek example. Let's say we're watching um, Doctor Who. My, favorite, my favorite show, which is Flaring Community College. We're, we're watching an episode of it. And you're like, man, the professor is great. 
I really want to get the Professor card. Like, can't wait, can't wait to get the sweet Professor card. He's the main character of this show. And then you go and buy your introductory deck, and what you've got instead is this book back here as your front, as your mm -hmm. like front facing mm -hmm. character. And you're like, yes, uh, Blackout by Connie Willis. Good book. That's what you've got. It's like, well, it's not really what, what I was excited about. Right. Right. And with Magic, we're, the Planeswalkers are our main characters. They're what we want you to be excited about. We built a lot of cachet in these characters. So we ultimately did a lot of bunch of testing. We um, talked to new players. We pulled them. We gathered information. We did a bunch of internal testing and decided that for the one card in the deck that was appropriate and it was cool to put the Planeswalker there. And also Planeswalkers are what people get excited about, mm -hmm. especially even new players who don't know how they work get excited about them. And we want to be able to give that out to people. So, because the old intro packs, for example, if you look at those, in the pre-Planeswalker deck days, often had, say, legendary creatures as their front-facing cards, like Talran mm. or things like that. And those did well, but Planeswalkers are just so much, much more attractive. Sure, sure. Uh, so hopping from uh, products for brand new players like Planeswalker decks, I want to talk about a product that happened one time many years ago, and it was called the Modern Event Deck. Yeah. This is something that uh, I and many other players didn't like the result, but like the idea of. So it was largely felt it was black-white tokens, and it was very stripped down, the same sort of like one to two of copies of many of the cards, and it wasn't even really a deck that was doing that well in Modern at the time. So it didn't really land in a, a, a big success, but the idea of Modern event decks got people excited, and we never saw this return, probably because it didn't sell well. Uh, uh, is this something that we could ever see the equivalent of in Modern, like a Modern Challenger deck? Can we ever see something where I am buying a, a tournament playable modern deck at my local game store? Uh, or is that just not going to be possible? Is that not, not a product that is going to exist? Well, I think especially with the success of the Challenger decks, mm -hmm. that's, the avenue for that is now more open than ever. Oh. And one of the great things about modern um, as opposed to standard is, yeah, we have the same lead time problem, you know, five months or whatever, but we know what decks are good in modern. Right. That, that's not changing, and it's unlikely, with some exceptions, that five months is going to be the, the big barrier there, right? Right. So if we wanted to do one, we absolutely can, and with it, like I said, with the success of um, the Challenger decks, it's totally on our radar. Now, it's not, not to say there aren't challenges, because we have to make sure we pick the right deck, how many decks do we do, how do we make sure that we pick the decks and put the cards in there without obviating all the hard work players have done to obtain all those modern cards. There's a lot of modern players sure. who have put in a lot of time and effort and trading to get the cards they need for their decks and to just say, oh, here it is on a silver platter, that might hurt some of their feelings, right? And we have to be, have to be careful about some of that. But it's certainly a thing we could look at doing in some fashion that is at a much higher level than the black-white tokens deck of days past. Hmm. So it's not impossible that we might see something like Absolutely that. Absolutely not. In fact, one thing um, that you're going to see us starting to do going forward is, uh, you've seen a bit actually already with the guild kits, is doing more pre-constructed decks. Cool. We, we love them. Uh, players, like deck building, I love it. You probably love it. I don't I know do enjoy. Sure. I do enjoy deck building. Deck building's great. But it also is time intensive. A lot of people just want to be able to pick up a deck and play, and there's a lot of opportunities for us in pre-constructed decks. So guild kits are one role at doing this, kind of making a you know a more casual kitchen table pre-constructed deck. And I think you'll see us trying even more pre-constructed deck offerings in the future. So stay tuned. Uh, were a modern event deck or similar product to happen, how possible would it be now in the commander precons? Which I'm a big uh, uh, advocate of the commander precons because. 
despite as as powerful as people's refined commander decks can be, I really feel that you can buy a commander pre-con, take it out of the box, and sit down and play with your friends who have established decks. In fact, one of my happiest memories was a bunch of relatively new players that had each bought a commander pre-con, and it, I believe it was four of them, and they were all playing with straight out of the box. They were literally sleeving it up as I sat down with my super hyper-competitive Tesa goes off on turn three with Skull Clamp and, and, and Darkest Hour. Uh, you monster! Uh, yes. You monster! Oh, yes. Well, Tesa's the monster. Tesa is the monster. Uh, uh, and I lost. And I was, I sat down and I was like, I am going to polish the floor with these scrubs. And actually, I dropped Skull Clamp and they'd never seen Skull Clamp. And they were looking at it and then one of them goes, I think you should get rid, someone should get rid of that card. And then someone else goes, I, I, I've, got, I've got this, I can do it, but it's, it's really costly. Does anyone have an easier, and they did what you're supposed to do, naturally. And it was so much fun. I was just sitting there grinning ear to ear because it was fun. And they got rid of the Skull Clamp and, and they exiled Dr. Stower and all this stuff, and I lost. Uh, and they figured it out quicker than the Fifth Dawn Design Team. Right. So there you go. <laughs> oh, no fifth offense, Dawn. Fifth Dawn Design Team is great. Right. Just, that was an unfortunate late decision on Skull Clamp. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, uh, one of the things we see, so I love the Commander Precon decks, but one of the things we see in Commander Precons are made just for Commander cards. If we were to start seeing modern Precons, might we ever see cards made just for modern that would skip standard entirely, but be designed with modern in mind? So we've talked about this a lot, but it's really tricky ground to play mm -hmm. in because part of what players love about these Eternal formats is they're organic. Right? Right. And even with Commander, we've gotten a lot of pushback from people about putting new cards into their formats. And if you look at the most popular Commander generals that are played, um, a lot of them are the newer ones. And some people feel like their favorite old Commanders have been pushed out a little bit. And in Commander, where it's casual for fun a lot of the time, like that's not as big of a deal. But if we launched a, a set or a, a set that had a component of only legal and modern or modern legacy legal cards, that would have really big tournament ramifications. So we would need to do a lot of testing hmm. and a lot of iteration. And it's not clear if people would like it or not. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. You know, um, the other day you asked on Twitter about Popper, a format I know you have strong feelings yes. about, about um, what is most important if there would be a Popper product that existed. And one of the things you asked, uh, put on your poll, was printing cards directly into Popper or downshifts, as it were. And reading through the comments, it was pretty split. Some people were like, Right. I love it. That sounds great. More downshifts. Some people saying that feels really inorganic. Right. Not enjoying that, right? right. And, um, you know, it'd be very hard to do. Now, I think it could be cool. It could be really amazing if done well, but we would have to put a lot of very careful eyes, a lot of play design resources on it, because we don't want to do is release this thing and have it blow up modern or have people feel like all the hard work they put into learning the format is now obviated. Mm -hmm. So maybe someday I think it could happen, but we'd have to be very, very careful about it. All right. um, one thing that we, like, it's always very cool to talk about a thing and imagine it's going to be the perfect scenario, everyone's going to love it, etc. But keeping in mind what I said earlier, which is we try our best, but sometimes we're wrong, we want to make sure that we don't mess up modern. Okay. Modern's great right now. I love modern. And I love, I love modern too. And you are, like we said, largely credited with creating the modern format. And what I want to know is how does something like that come about? Well, I, one day did a higher up at Wizards of the Coast walk into R&D. I'm envisioning someone chomping a cigar and say, we need a new non-rotating format. There he, go. That's your decision. Go do it. And you had to go, oh, I got to figure this out. All right, uh, uh, seventh edition, you know, or uh, eighth edition. Uh, uh, or how did that 
take place? Did you just work this up on your own and be like, hey, boss, I've been working on this. Uh, what do you think? And submit it to, to your higher ups? Or how did you go about making the modern format? Well, first and foremost, you would make a great J. Jonas Jameson. Yes. I just got to say, if the new Spider-Man movie is casting, right. look at the Con professor. Liberated! I want photos of, <laughs> I want reprints of Con Liberated! If someone doesn't make that like a meme yes. or a gif or something, right. I'm going to be all over it. Um, this Liliana is a menace! Right. right. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Well, it's, it's actually a wilder or less wild story, mm. and I'll let you decide. I'll give people the Cliff Notes version, which is I actually made modern before I came to work for Wizards. Really? So what happened is I was graduated out of college at the time. I was fresh. I was 21. And um, yeah, it was a few, a few years ago. I started at Wizards about seven years ago, so that gives you a timeline here. I'm 28 now. Oh my god, are you not 30? I'm 28. I'm so old. Go on. Um, I was out of college, and me and some friends, I was a PTQ grinder, playing on the Pro Tour every now and then at the time, a, a pro player. And I and my friends, like Brian Kowal and Sam Black and some other players, were like, why isn't there this format in between the two? And I was like, that's a really good idea. And people have talked about this, this for years. Like At the time, Extended existed, and it was like a rotating Eternal format, and every few years, some blocks would rotate out, right? And then it was turned into double standard, which was like two years worth of standard, and that wasn't going over very well at the time. And so I was like, I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. So I tested myself a format that I called Overextended. Um, it was from Invasion forward, and I made a website, I made a ban list, and I just started running tournaments. I ran tournaments on Magic Online. Wow. I got hundreds of stores around the world to run tournaments on an, a day I called National Overextended Day. And people were really getting excited about this, and their pros were talking about it. The deck list looked really cool and unique and original. And at the same exact time, Wizards was working on the early versions of Modern. I, I didn't really know this, but they were working on this in parallel with me. And so, um, they looked at my work and how successful the stuff I was doing was. And then they at, you know, had tried the modern in the community cup at, um, they were running at the time. And that went over pretty well. And they decided with, I think, five or six weeks before the extended pro tour to change it to modern. And that's when it all happened. And so my work on the outside greatly influenced what happened on the inside. Now they chose a, uh, a different cutoff point, which ultimately I think was correct. Going back to Invasion, Odyssey, Onslaught probably wasn't ultimately right. Um, but that that was the, the format that I created, and they took some elements of it, incorporated it in their format, and used it to help inform their band list. So it was very, very awesome. And then not long afterward, I got a little message to come and work for Wizards. Actually... Wait, wait, you got a message to come and work for Wizards? That They didn't offer you a job, they simply declared you need to come here. Wow, that's ominous. It's well, just like, yeah, you're going to come work for us now. Well, it's sort of a funny story. So I'm on Facebook one day, as, yeah. as the kids do, and... Not MySpace? Uh, well, yeah, Friendster was old Friendster, news at that point, yeah. right? So I get a friend request from Dave Humphreys, and then uh -huh. sooner, pretty soon I have a message that's like, hey, do you want to try your hand at, and take this vapor ops test? It's a test where you have to reply to cards, um, give feedback on cards in a short amount of time to get a job at Wizards. And if they like what you say, then you might get hired, right? Hmm. And um, I said, obviously, I, my, my entire life I've wanted to do this. When I was 10 years old, I wanted to work at Wizards on Magic. Wow. So yeah, that's another story. Yes. Um, but uh, so I, I said yes. I spent all weekend doing nothing but eating, sleeping, and working on this test. I wrote nearly 50,000 words on all the cards they sent over. I sent them back, and uh, then I got a call a few days later saying I was hired, and it was, it was amazing. It was absolutely wonderful. Notably, on my Vapor Ops test were, uh, was Tybalt, which I said was ridiculous. We should never make this card. 
shouldn't unprintable. So imagine my surprise when I walked in the door and Tybalt was a, was a real card going out in the world. Imagine all of our surprise. And then Miracle, which I was like, well, clearly this doesn't work for tournament rules reasons. And then, well, I was wrong. So like always in R&D, how you explain yourself and how you come to your thought process mm -hmm. is more important than being correct or incorrect necessarily. And uh, even though I said those cards couldn't be printed, I got the job and I've loved it ever since. Wow. Now you mentioned, I, I really got to follow up on this because you mentioned the cutoff, uh, which is uh, when we switched to what we now, or what we then called the modern car, card frame, right. uh, uh, 8th edition. Right. Uh, but including 8th and 9th edition brings with it two very contentious cards uh, by the name of Blood Moon and ensnaring bridge. Do you feel in retrospect that maybe the cutoff should have come not earlier, but later? Many have said, why didn't we just start in 10th edition? We would not have ensnaring bridge or blood moon. Do you feel it is fair to say ensnaring bridge and blood moon are problematic cards for modern or cards that maybe shouldn't be in modern? Or is that just a lot of uh, uh, unfair accusations from the player base? Well, I mean, I know when, once again, I wasn't in the building right. when the cutoff was being made, but I've talked a lot about it, of course, heard Retro a bunch of stories. Retrospect. Retrospective. And um, there were a lot of times they were looking at Like, they looked at my time invasion that I was going for. They looked at Ravnica forward uh, as mm -hmm. one option. They, they, try, they looked at uh, even Kamigawa forward, because that gets Mirrodin block out of the equation, mm -hmm. right? There was a lot of stuff that was talked about. Ultimately, they decided, look, let's just do it with the modern card frame. Everything is arbitrary. Let's just find something that at least makes sense. <laughs> and roll with it, right. which I think makes a reasonable amount of sense. Now, are Blood Moon and Ensnaring Bridge oppressive cards in modern in certain decks? Absolutely. On the flip side, are they the most broken, busted things you can do in the, in the format full of combos and crazy cards you can sure. play? I wouldn't say that they're necessarily that either, right? So right. they are powerful cards, and in Blood Moon especially, often a powerful sideboard card, and a whole host of powerful cards. Now, if if 8th edition suddenly wasn't in the format and you know it was old card frame or something, would that be cool? I, you know, I, I guess that's fine. But the fact that it the cutoff starts there because it was the modern card frame makes sense at least. And I don't feel like we should ban those cards or anything like that because of it. I really love modern. And prior to my recent championing of Popper, modern has always been my favorite format, more so than any other. I absolutely adore it, problems and all. And a lot of modern fans, such as myself, are getting shall I say, nervous about the future of modern because we are seeing two things. We are seeing a lot of concerns that modern might be growing so large that it is becoming problematic, that it is becoming kind of caving in on itself, and also that we are hearing about a potential new non-rotating format that's going to hit Arena, uh, which has been just currently referred to as post-standard, and that that might be seen as a modern replacement. What do you think about the future of modern? Is it strong? Is it a format that we are going to see last and supported by wizards? Or is this the sort of thing where it might just have grown too big and need to be replaced with a different format? Well, first of all, I think the future of modern is really strong. We strong. have a lot of stuff coming out to support it still. I know we're not doing master sets anymore, but no. we still have stuff for modern in the wings. So, okay. all right. The thing about modern is it's a way to play. It's fantastic. And I love giving players more options to play. 
I don't view, if we were to make a new thing between say modern and standard somewhere in there, that'll also be an option to play, but that doesn't obviate modern as a way to play in the same way that legacy doesn't obviate modern as, as a way to play. Mm. Like there's different formats for different people with different card pools with different decks that are legal in each of them. And a hundred years from now, when magic is still alive and kicking, as it will be, I'll, I would love for there to be eight different formats at different stratas where it's like, oh, okay, legacy has everything and modern has this and there's a, a format, you know, it's a little older than modern, one that's even, you know, a little older than that to allow for all kinds of different decks and play styles. We would kind of pick their favorites to work with. Um, so no, there's no plans to get rid of modern or do anything like that. We're still going to keep supporting modern. I love modern. It's not going anywhere. Nice. No, with that said, as a brewer, as someone who loves building decks, I always get really excited when a new format shows up and someday... Not today, probably not tomorrow. Some point in the future, we're going to have a format, just almost inevitably, that is between modern and standard. And when that format exists, I'm excited to try it out. I know I've followed Frontier over in Japan when that was kind of a thing that was going on. It still is played a little bit here and there. Yep. You were, you were a fan of Tiny Leaders, right? I, I played some Tiny Leaders as well. Oh, I yep. thought that was like you really loved Tiny Leaders. Oh, no, that was Brawl. Sorry. Yeah. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. Hey. I'll, I'll cut that. I'm, I'm hey. being a jerk. Hey, you do you. you do I'm you. just being a jerk. Um, I lost my train of thought. No, I'm no. sorry, Gavin. Which is, uh, no. <laughs> I couldn't resist. That was, a, that was great. That was a great moment. Um, and Frontier looked really fun, frankly. Yeah. I mean, wasn't perfect. Certainly, stuff to work on there. But mm -hmm. they came up with a, with a, a cool, uh, cool card pool. I don't know if it's the same cutoff we would use, and of course with Arena in the mix, we'll want to consider different cutoffs to make more sense for Arena and all kinds of stuff. But someday we'll get to a format like that. When it happens, I know I'm excited to go and build decks for it, but I'll still be excited to go back and play Modern. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much, Gavin, for joining us here today. I appreciate you coming into the belly of the beast, as it were, at Tularean Community College. I honestly uh, didn't think something like this would ever happen, and I'm really happy that it did, so thank you for that. Well, and I'm so happy to be here. Like, I, I watch your stuff all the time. Anytime a product comes out that I worked on, or, or that even that ones I don't work on, I make sure to watch your videos to know what you think about our stuff. And it's just cool being here. There's so much neat stuff lying around the office and I've had a blast playing with deck boxes I didn't know existed and seeing all the fun props like the Shivan Dragon here. So it's been amazing and thank you for having me down. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we're actually going to continue talking about Popper in a separate video that'll be posted later in case you didn't notice. I didn't really ask that much, if anything at all, about Popper. That's because we're doing an entire Popper episode where the professor demands Popper answers of Wizards of the Coast R&D as represented by you, Gavin Verhey. So uh, stay tuned to the channel because after this, uh, maybe a few days or a week later, you will see our popper discussion. Well, and the good news is I'm a popper player. I've been playing, I've been having a blast with it. So more than happy to talk with the professor about it. Don't think I'm letting you off easy. It's a fun format. The professor demands answers. <laughs> Like your J. Jonah Jameson right there, right? right? Yeah. Answer, Popper, Popper, I want photos of Popper, Popper. All right, we'll, we'll have to change our outfits and do Popper-like street clothes for this that next bra interview. This brawl format is a menace. <laughs> hey, I've got plenty of feelings about that, too. We can go into that. I, I, I just feel that if we talked about brawl, everything I said would just be too mean. I'm sorry. You know what? I can take it. One thing that's important to me I is... I just can't. I, I can't. I don't have the heart because I know... I can't do it because I know how much you love brawl. And I just can't look at those sweet baby blue eyes and 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 just let loose on Brawl. I know you're already lying because my eyes are not blue. They're not? What are they? They're brown. That is not brown. They're brown, like disgusting brown. You be the judge. You be the judge. Um, 
All right. But, well. you know, I'm looking forward to it. And one thing I just want to say to everyone out there is, look, I know it seems like, yeah, I'm the Wizards guy. I'll say this about every set or whatever. But 2019 is going to be an amazing, amazing year for Magic. Not only have we kicked it off with Ravnica Allegiance, which is already doing well, but War of the Spark is a set truly unlike any other, basically any set we've ever made, period. It is so different and out there and wild. And, um, well, I can't wait for you to check it out. And then there's a few things this year, including one set that, uh, well, I, you're just going to have to wait and see because it is... Uh, it's going to do some stuff, and when it is announced, you will know what it is, and you'll be talking about it. I guarantee you will have a lot of feelings about it, so stay tuned. All right. And this program was made possible thanks to a sponsorship from Card Kingdom, as well as the Patreon support of viewers such as you. So thank you.